Pleasure Town listeners, this is Aaron. Thank you for downloading this minisode. This particular minisode is the third in a three-part series from our friends at Reading Out Loud. If you haven't subscribed to them yet, please do so. A lot of great work. I know you're going to love them. And a special, special thank you to Ryan Duke and all the great work that he's done. We've also got a special announcement to share with you. We are launching a Kickstarter, asking for your hard-earned cash to help us do what we do here at Pleasure Town. There's a lot of great backer rewards, a lot of great opportunities. So please go check it out. Kickstarter, search for Pleasure Town. Of course, there's going to be links all over our website, social media, all that fun stuff. But we really would love your support. It would help us do a lot of great things with this podcast. So please go check it out. But first, of course, sit back, relax, and enjoy this minisode. I don't want your breakfast, I don't want your help, and I don't want you here. We are closed today. Get gone. Scram! Morella pushed Pete and Sal out the front flap. Mr. Filing will be most displeased with today's closure. Yeah, well, not to Mr. Filing. Get out! With the children gone and out of earshot, Morella sat back at the table with her head in her hands. Frank sucked her teeth and nodded. So there you have it. What are we going to do now? Morella mumbled into her hands. I've been wondering that for a while now. Honestly, it's nice to know that I'm not crazy. Honestly, I wish you were crazy. Me too. Well then, what do we do? Frank leaned across the table. We get the hell out of here. I don't know any other words to describe it except distance and darkness. It's like you're looking out at the world through the holes in a knitted blanket. There's something between you and everyone else, and you can't shake it. And you're not even sure why you should, why you want to. And then you do things, but you didn't do them. And you say things, but you didn't say them. You're there in your own body, but you're not in charge. And part of you is thinking, maybe that's okay. Maybe it's better this way. Maybe it should always be this way. You don't feel pain or fear or hunger. You don't feel anything except distance and dark. Shop slow, Mr. Blath. Yeah, this ain't slow. This is dead. You think it's the carnival? Of course it's that damn carnival. Sure does look like a spectacle. I'm sure it does. Not every day something like that comes through Pleasure Town. Nope. Who knows when something so big will happen in a town like this again? How would you just get the hell out of here, Albert? I know what you're getting at. You can take the day, go to the damn carnival. Sound like we're going to get anything useful done around here anyhow. Albert hung his smock, punched the clock, and was out the door before I finished my thought. Let's just say I didn't share his eagerness. Somewhere up in that carnival was the boy. His broken nose, his unnatural smile, that's what haunted me. The smile. I can handle the the menace of a teenager who's a bit too big for his britches. But the menace of that false smile... 
That condescending tone he struck when offering his insincere apology. I just couldn't shake it. Unnatural. It was unnatural. I took stock in the storeroom to keep me busy, idle hands and whatnot. Distracted with my thoughts of the boy, I knocked over a rack of cigars. In my mind flashed an image of the boy on the ground. And the blood... That was enough. I couldn't sit there afraid of nothing but some weird kid with a silly grin and a story to tell. I closed the store, headed on up to the carnival. After their dismissal from Morel's tent, Pink and Sal parted ways without saying a word. She reported to Mr. Filing, and Pete found himself on trash duty. Trash duty worked like this. Teams of four small children fanned out through the midway, eyes to the ground searching for any litter. Two were armed with trash picks, the others with clubs. Their movements were precise and efficient. Refuse was not allowed to linger for more than a few moments before it was gobbled up by one of the crew. Some of the townsfolk stopped to remark at the job that the children were doing. If they recognized the child... They might pat him or her on the head and commend them on what a good job they were doing. But the kids were too focused to notice, too focused to even acknowledge family members. But that's okay, someone in the family would comment. This is just part of the process. Kid has a job to do. Best not interrupt. In the late afternoon, the sun started to burn off the clouds, breaking through here and there. Pete bent to pick up a soiled napkin, When he saw for the first time that day, his shadow, he cocked his head, and the shadow cocked its head the same way. Pete stood and turned to rejoin the crew, but he couldn't move. He was stuck, his body tense, but frozen. Pete watched as his shadow flickered, perhaps in the haze of the hot afternoon. That thin patch of wiry darkness danced in the dirt, kicking and jumping. Dust settled on Pete's shoes. And then, his body relaxed. He waved, and the shadow waved back. Well, hello there. Pete looked around. His team continued their pursuit of garbage down the midway, completely oblivious to the straggler. Pete ran the opposite direction, leaving the napkin in the dirt. Frank and Mirella were packing in a hurry when Mirella noticed a little shadow at the front flap. Oh, God, one of them is at the door, she whispered. Is it a spy? Do you think Crandall knows? What will he do to us? Shh, I'm sure it's nothing. Just act normal. Mirella threw the bags under the tablecloth and sat at the table, reclining slightly. She started packing a cigarette and nodded to Frank, who called to the tent flap. Is that someone at the door? Why don't you come in? Pete entered chewing at his lip, his chin buried in his chest. We still don't need any help, young man. Thank you, though. Frank gestured to the exit. Pete didn't say a thing in response. Instead, he shifted his weight back and forth, breathing hard. Mirella's nervous cigarette tapping increased in speed and fervor. Frank continued. Why don't you go make yourself useful for one of the other attractions? Still no response. 
but the boy frowned, and his breathing got louder and more jagged. Mirella broke her cigarette, spilling tobacco all over the table. She threw it to the ground and jumped up. Get out of here, you wretched little demon! Shoo! Mirella tried to push Pete back outside, but he fell to the ground and <laughs> sobbed. I don't know where to go. <laughs> Mirella and Frank met eyes. Don't you have a job to do? Frank asked sweetly, holding a hand up to steal Mirella. I don't know. I did. I was doing it, and then my shadow found me. Then I didn't want to do it anymore. I don't want any of this. I just want to go back to how things were. He tried to explain, but some of his words were lost in gurgles and spurts, and the rest was nonsense. Frank pulled Mirella to the far side of the tent. We're taking him with us. We most certainly are not. We are. We can't leave him here. Don't you see it? He's back. He's the same little boy from yesterday, just sadder. He has no one. Are we really going to leave him here for Mr. Filing? It could be a trick. A man like Filing is full of tricks. Morella, just look at him. Mirella looked at the boy and saw a helpless mess of a child. She sighed again and grimaced at Frank. Ugh, fine. But he's your responsibility. Frank bent low to speak to him. Little boy, what's your name again? Sniff. Pete. Pete, that's a nice name. Pete, sounds like you're not having a good time here, huh? I hate it. Then how about you come with us? We're going to leave and get away from here. Doesn't that sound nice? Yeah, but- Good boy, get up and help us with the bags. We're leaving immediately. But I can't because Alan Buster. What now? My sister, you know her. And my friend, he's here too. Your sister? The girl from yesterday? Mirella shuddered. She stood and whispered something to Frank. Frank walked away abruptly, shaking her head. Mirella leaned close to Pete. Young man, sisters are very nice, but do you know what's better? Horses. Do you like horses? I found my way through the carnival with difficulty. The crowds are overwhelming. People must be coming from miles around. The population at the carnival dwarfed out of Pleasure Town, and yet there was perfect order for a mob that size and no clear police presence. Just, just odd is all. I saw a group of Pleasure Town folk gathered in front of a large tent complaining about something. <laughs> Go figure, Pleasure Towners complaining. Familiar sight. That flamboyant showman from the parade, the, the wazoo with the funny name Crandall something, he stood at the front trying to calm everybody down. I hear all of your concerns and I understand. It's hard to let go of your young ones. But you must trust the process. This is truly the best thing for them. My precious Roseanne won't even acknowledge me. I just stopped by to check on her, this being her first day of work and all. I brought her a sandwich. She didn't even say hello. She was probably just embarrassed. You needn't worry about their dietary needs any longer. All food and living expenses are included as part of our apprenticeship program. But what are you feeding them? They're not acting like themselves no more. My Bradley was always a sweet boy. Some would call him a mama's boy, but he doesn't mind. Suits him just fine. He'd never be so rude as to not respond when I hug him. Our charges are instructed to shed their former lives completely. Many sensitive boys find it's more befitting their new persona as businessmen in training to present a hardened exterior. 
The complaints kept coming. Mothers, fathers, doting aunts, all shouting their distrust. But Crandall quieted him with a wave of his hand. Ladies and gentlemen, please rest assured that your children are well cared for. But now you'll have to excuse me. I am due on stage in a matter of moments. I'm happy to continue addressing your concerns after the performance, and please accept these tickets as a token of my esteem. This is the job. This is what I do. This is my job. This is who I am. This is the job. This is my responsibility. This is the job. This is me. There is the job. There is me. I am the job. There is nothing else. But they can come back. I came back. I know, and it's a miracle, but we can't save them. And if we hang around much longer, who knows what could happen? Understand? There must be something you can do. Aren't you magic or something? I saw those crystals and things. Don't you have a potion or some sort of spell? Those are really more for show than anything, kiddo. What kind of witches are you? The best that money can buy. Morella set up. <gasps> but maybe, maybe we can do something. What? Morella bolted to the bookshelf. Maybe there's something in one of these books. Something about uh, bewitching. They have to be bewitched, right? And these books are all about that. Spells, incantations, dark magic, the occult. And I've never seen you crack a single one. Come on, you don't go in for all that hoodoo. You've seen it yourself. Something sinister is going on here. And besides, I am Mirella the Mystical. Don't believe your own hype. I've seen your bit. Cold reading, tugging the emotions of stupid people. Overgeneralizations? Come on, get real. Frank! Marilla waved her arms around. She gestured to Pete, to the tent flap, the sky, to her books, her crystals, back to Pete, back to the sky. What the hell else are we going to do? Frank took a deep breath. Well. Snort. Spit. Yes, you got some studying to do. Come with me, Pete. Let's see if we can't find your sister. I shuffled along with the parents to the show. Somebody thought I was a concerned parent, too. Free is free. I figure, what the hell? I hung in the back of the big top on the aisle near the exit. I don't know why, just nervous, I guess. The show started with a bang. The sharp crack of a small explosive. Smoke oozed from the center stage out to the audience. It hit some sort of Invisible wall, it must be, it collected in a vaporous cylinder. And then a whoosh, and the smoke retreated to the waiting hand of Crandall filing in full mesmerist regalia. Black tux, black cape, both lined in red, his eyelids painted gold. The crowd applauded. And before he started his act in earnest, he removed the cape and held it out for his assistant. And there... Dressed in black tuxedo pants and a red shirt was that boy. He took the cape and whirled it around himself with a flourish. On the third pass, he and the cape disappeared. The crowd applauded. The boy. The boy, there must be some kind of backstage where he slipped off to. 
I made my way around the edge of the big top, circling around to the front. Thank you, ladies and gentlemen. I will need an audience volunteer. Is there anyone in the audience kind enough to offer their services? You, madam, sir, yes, the young lady, you. Join me here, please. Crandall pulled an elderly woman from the audience. Ma'am, thank you so much for your help. Now, before we continue, I just need to ask one simple question. Do you know what a mesmerist is? She covered her face and laughed, embarrassed at the quiz. Oh, well, that's you, isn't it? The audience laughed. Ah, <laughs> yes, ma'am. But I am not the only one. Mesmerism is the most powerful and least understood anatomical science. Through the manipulation of bodily magnetism, one can exert great control over the mind, the body, and the soul. Do you know what that entails? Some magic tricks, maybe. Oh, tricks! Crandall looked disgusted, but smiled the feeling away. <laughs> no, no, ma'am, no tricks here. If you will indulge me, could you please tell me the time? I'm afraid I don't carry a watch. Oh, of course. Where are my manners? Here, you can use mine. Crandall reached into his pocket and mimed the removal of a delicate pocket watch. The entire audience could tell that there was nothing in his hand. Do you like my watch? Crandall asked her. Oh, it's very fine, it is. Is it foreign? It's French, maybe. You see, ladies and gentlemen, it's all a matter of perception. Crandall mimed taking the watch back from the old lady and held it out to the audience. You and I can see that there is no watch, but to my lovely volunteer, it is plain as day. All that we see, that we touch, and that we fear is in the mind. Our realities are only as real, Crandall waved his other hand before the invisible watch, as what we perceive to be real. And there from his hand dangled an ornate watch of rose gold. It swung to and fro. I'm sorry, ma'am, I've been so rude. I never asked your name. Well, uh, the folks, they call me Ruby Jewel, but that is not my real name. Oh, Ruby, dear, could you tell me, is my watch still running? As he handed the watch back to her, the whole crowd could hear a soft ticking. Ruby held it to her ear and squinted as if straining to hear. She shook it a little. The whole time, the ticking got louder and louder. Ruby said something to Crandall, but she couldn't be heard. Uh, no, I'm, I'm sorry, ma'am. You'll have to speak up. I said it sounds like it needs a winding, it does. This thing is dead as a doornail. A small child covered her ears and cried to her mother. It's so loud, mommy, it hurts. Abruptly, the ticking stopped to the relief of the audience. Thank you so much for your help with this little demonstration, Ruby. Could we all give Ruby a hand? The audience applauded again. Before I could make it backstage, two large men, the first hint of security, stopped me, told me the backstage was for performers only. I had to return to my seat. Oh, I, I just needed to, uh, you see, my, uh, my friend said that, uh, Oh, there he is. Are you there? A young man. I saw the boy from between the shoulders of the security guards. Well, hi there, Mr. Blythe. There it is again. That smile. That smile that's not his smile. The men let me through and the boy called out to me. It's a pleasure to see you again, sir. 
How can I help you today? We're pretty busy with the fair. I swallowed hard and tried to match his smile. <laughs> I can see that. Busy, busy. Glad to see you making something of yourself. Come a long way in such a short time, haven't you, boy? Yes, sir. Mr. Filan has that effect on young persons such as myself. Yeah, I, I see that. Well, actually, uh, see, seeing how well you're doing, I... There was an explosion and a gasp from the audience behind me. Uh, gee, sure, sure is loud in here. W would you mind if we spoke outside? I'm really very busy, Mr. Bob. I must insist. You see, I have a very important uh, business matter that I think that you could help me with. Again, the audience roared for filing. But it's a, it's a delicate matter that I don't want to have to shout about. Oh, well then, a business matter, of course. I'm not needed in the show for a few minutes more. Let's step outside. And so it went. Separated from my thoughts and actions, trapped within myself as my body kept acting without my influence. Me. And not me. Watching. Disinterested. Until I saw that light in the distant dark. Until my shadow found me. Until my shadow. It was nearly dark when Frank laid a wiggling, sal-sized bundle at Morella's feet. Whatever you're gonna do here needs to be done in a big damn hurry. Dozens of books were piled around Morella. She sat at the table bent over a leather-bound tome. Yes, yes, just hold on. I think I have something here. I'm telling you, they're on to us. We found her with a group down by the river washing clothes. When I grabbed her, the others didn't make a fuss. They just stared at us as we ran away. We tried to be sneaky, but around every corner was another couple kids watching us as we went. Not blinking, no expression. They know something's up and we gotta get gone. Fine, fine. Morella looked up. Is that a sheet? Frank untied the bundle. Well, she wasn't exactly cooperating, so I rigged this up. When the sheet was loose, Sal shot up and tried to run out the door. Frank grabbed her shirt collar and dragged her down. See what I mean? Well, can you hold her still? Not a problem. Frank lifted Sal onto the table and held her by the shoulders. Miss Morella, Miss Francine, Mr. Filing will not appreciate the capture and restraint of one of his employees. And considering the roughness with which I was handled, not to mention the brute force you're currently applying to my shoulders, I imagine there will be marks tomorrow. Morella placed a pink crystal on Sal's chest and held another above her head. Sal continued. If you value your careers, cease this foolish endeavor at once. Pete, I can't handle the distraction. Would you be a dear and find something to put in your sister's mouth? Pete, you don't want to disappoint Mr. Fallon, do you? These women are clearly violating their contracts, and if you are... <laughs> Sal fought the scarf that covered her mouth, probing it with her tongue. Sorry, please don't hit me later. Morella placed more crystals of varying color and clarity on Sal's body, replacing them each time Sal kicked hard enough to shake them out of position. Okay. Okay, Frank asked. Okay. Okay. Morella adjusted a couple of crystals slightly. Okay? Okay. Morella consulted her book again. What's next? Just hang on. Do we chant or something? No, no. That's it, I think. So, it's done. I'm not sure. It might take a minute. 
The book isn't entirely clear on how long it's supposed to be. Okay, well, how do we check? We can't let her go before we know she could run off. I got an idea. Pete lifted the scarf. Sal, how do you feel about Mr. Filing? Oh, he's truly a great man, an inspiration. <laughs> She's still cooking. Frank growled. Morella, we don't have time for this. But that's all the book says. I mean, maybe I don't have the right crystals. I never had a keen eye for crystals. She picked a few up and held them up to the light of the chandelier. Maybe there are flaws? I don't know. I don't know, Frank. I don't know what I'm doing here. But you can't give up. This has to work. Be magic. Pete, I tried. I'm out of my depth here. Pete frowned and stared at the ground, fighting tears again. My shadow. He whispered. My shadow! He yelled. Menace flickered at the end of a match. A shadow laughed and beckoned me to join it, to dance and play. The shadow knew no bounds, leaping between surfaces, shrinking and growing, light and free. It was my shadow, the darkness I cast in the light. It found me, and then there was Pete holding the match in an otherwise dark tent. And then there were the old women that were jerks to me yesterday. And then there was a crushing feeling of dread. Where's Buster? Mr. Blood, please, we can talk about this. The shopkeeper held Buster in a headlock and dragged him through the darkening fairgrounds. There ain't nothing to talk about, boy. We're going to see the sheriff. But I don't wish to see the sheriff. I'm reformed. I am not hearing it. You keep towing that line, but I know the devil's still in you. But, Mr. Blythe, need I remind you? I was left bleeding and unconscious out on the prairie. Something tells me the sheriff will be interested in that part of the story. Yeah, I'm sure he will. But I am ready to face my judgment. The only way you and I are going to be cleansed of our sins is to accept our just punishment on this earth. But, Mr. Blythe! Buster dug his heels into the dirt. Let me go! I have a job to do! He pushed the shopkeeper's arm and he held firm. No! You are coming with me! The fair had emptied promptly when the sun fell behind the hills. In the twilight, they could just make out a few young carnival workers lying in the midway, silently watching as the boy was dragged toward town. I'm not going anywhere with you, you old bastard! Buster stomped on Mr. Blight's foot and he cried out in pain. Loosening his grip just long enough for Buster to get free and run. Mr. Blythe chased after him, around the hall of mirrors and back behind the stables. Holy what, Buster! Pete and Sal tackled Buster in the hay. Mr. Blythe bent down to pull them off. Get your hands off those children! Two older women charged at the shopkeeper. Hey, all right, now, now these little children, they don't mean nothing to me, ladies. I am simply trying to make an arrest. Are you the law around here? Not exactly. Then I suggest you mosey on. A low fog gathered around their ankles. Lady, lady, my name is James Blythe. This young person here is a chronic, uh, he's a disruptor of the peace. And he needs to face judgment. Thirty more kids gathered, watching wordlessly, their eyes shining in the lantern light. No badge, no collar. Get the hell out of my way, woman. He reached down for Buster again. There was a crack. Ah! Mr. Blythe fell to the ground, Ah! holding his face and spewing curses. Ah! Morella stood over him, shaking the ache from her hand. He got up, gingerly pawing at the blood pouring from his nose. 
He raised a fist to strike Morella, but stopped short. He looked stiff, as if fighting a strong wind. Every muscle in him strained, his eyes wide, blank, his face flushed red. He breathed harder and faster, but he couldn't move. We have no time for this nonsense, asserted a voice from behind him. There's work to be done in the morning. Frank reached for her holster but didn't draw. We're not trying to kick up a fuss here, Mr. Filen. We're just trying to leave. But why leave? More children gathered around him, the mist up to their knees. We're all family here, gathered to a common purpose. The lights of the fairground dimmed and winked out. Crandall Filen, the mesmerist, grew taller, his shoulders and chest broader, his legs longer, his cape wider. Mr. Blythe wordlessly joined the growing horde that encircled the mesmerist. Behind them, in the distant dark, hundreds of unblinking eyes glimmered and shook with the stomping of little feet. More children approached the stable. Frank raised a revolver and aimed at the mesmerist. You just stop your act right now, Filin. All we want is to leave. Don't you see, Francine? Will is an illusion. Buster took a step toward the mesmerist. But Sal and Pete held tight to his hands. I'm not here to argue with you, Filin, but my gun may have something to say. The children packed in tightly around the mesmerist until only his head was exposed. Not an easy shot, Francine. And isn't your gun feeling a bit heavy? Frank put two hands to her revolver as it dipped. She fought to keep it aimed high, but the nose kept dipping. She gritted her teeth with effort, but it was no use. Morella placed a hand on Frank's shoulder. It's okay. This isn't the way. Frank dropped her arms. There's nothing out there for any of you. Here, we have warmth and comfort. Here, there is purpose. And isn't that what you all want? To be part of something larger than yourselves and delight in the successes of the whole. Why don't we all be adults about this and make choices that are best for us all? Morella spoke for the group. You're right, Crandall. We have no place to go. Frank and I, we'll be out of work. The kids, no discernible future. You're absolutely right. This is not a responsible decision. But here we are making it. And you know why? I haven't a clue. Because nuts to you, Crandall Filing. We do what we want. Pete started giggling. <laughs> so did Sal. Yeah, nuts to you, creepy old coot. Frank laughed too. And when she looked at Crandall, she noticed he didn't seem so tall anymore. The weight of the gun in her hand felt just about right. You smell like elephant crap. <laughs> the four of them giggled like children with a secret. Frank could see the lights of the fair behind Crandall again. She felt younger, lighter, sillier. She holstered her gun and pulled a flask from her pocket. She took a deep swig, then gestured at him with the bottle. All those theatrics scaring people into thinking you have power over them? Why don't you go peddle your parlor tricks elsewhere? We ain't buying. You see, Crandall? We're just a bunch of homeless, jobless, penniless, worryless morons with no place to go. We have a couple of wayward youths paired with a couple of wayward youths at heart. Do you really want us fouling up your fare with our foolishness? Crandall eyed the four of them up and down, questioning their very existence. 
he turned his attention to Mr. Blythe, who promptly punched himself twice in the face before falling over unconscious. Satisfied with his test, Crandall turned back to Frank and Morella and spread his cape wide, attempting to grow larger. There is work to be done in the morning, he insisted. Yes, sir, Sal offered humbly. But for someone else, we quit. <laughs> Fine. Live with your choices, you ignorant hayseeds. Buster! Crandall turned back towards the fair. Buster moved toward Mr. Filan, but again, Sal and Pete held fast. But Buster, don't go! Mr. Filing is my employer. He's given me a chance to make something of myself. But he's evil! Can't you see it? He's a bad, bad man. Evil? He's just a businessman. He's got your mind all wrapped up in his dirty magic, but we can break it. Come play with us. I know you're in there, Buster. I've been there too. Let's run the game, lift something we shouldn't. Let's get in trouble. We need you, Buster. Buster yanked his hands away. All this talk of games and trouble. Why don't you two just grow the hell up? Buster ran off and quickly caught up with Crandall. He patted Buster's back and threw the cape around his shoulders. The fog thickened as they walked away, until they couldn't be seen anymore. Sal, Pete, and Morella found seats in the wagon. Frank climbed on top. She snorted. She spit. She clicked her tongue, and the horses pulled away across the prairie. Pleasure Town listeners, this is Emily Modaf, associate producer of Pleasure Town. As always, I'd like to thank you for tuning in to our mini-sodes as we prepare for season two. We are hard at work, and we cannot wait to share what's in store for the citizens of Pleasure Town. A friendly reminder that you can join the story anytime. We're still looking for a historical figure to visit the town in season two, and we are always looking for your original Pleasure Town-inspired art. So you can email us at pleasuretownshow at gmail.com, Tweet us at PleasureTownOK, or find us on Facebook just by searching PleasureTown. And now to thank the wonderful people who made this episode possible. PleasureTown was created by Keith Ecker and Aaron Cahill. This minisode was the third and final installment of a three-part story produced in collaboration with our friends at the world's loudest lit mag, Reading Out Loud. Hear more at readingoutloud.org, and be sure to search for them on iTunes and Stitcher. This episode was written by Ryan P. Duke and performed by Eleni Papa George, Lucinda Eels, and Brandon Paul Eels. Sound design by Scott Miner of Lucky Dog Audio Post. Editing by Simon A. Smith. And original music by River Rising. Pleasure Town is a part of the WBEZ Podcast Network. You can hear more excellent shows like the It's All True Podcast and Curious City at wbez.org slash podcasts. And don't forget to check out our Kickstarter, which you can read more about at pleasuretownshow.com. Until next time. Thank you all. Now go after your happy.